In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. When you think of the Holy Family, the family that typically comes to mind is Mary, Joseph, and Jesus, right? We even have an icon that's typically called the Holy Family. It's not actually from the Eastern Orthodox tradition, it's much more from the Western tradition. But in any case, that's the family that typically comes to mind when you think of the Holy Family. There's another Holy Family that doesn't get enough attention. And that's the family of Zacharias, Elizabeth, and John. And you see that there's a lot to learn from this family. There's a lot to learn from the road that Elizabeth and Zacharias walked together. Because obviously they had this amazing son, John. But John just didn't come out of thin air. He came from righteous parents. John, the one who was chosen to prepare the way of the Lord, had a big task. He had a big job to do. And at the very core of his foundation, what prepared him to mature into this amazing prophet, is the foundation that he had at home. And so, if you look at his life, where it all began as Zacharias and Elizabeth were struggling and fasting and praying for years and years and years, waiting for a son, that served as the foundation for this young man to mature in order to prepare the way of the Lord when Christ came to minister to us. A lot of times we run to different resources around us when it comes to all of our family problems when it comes to the struggles with our children, when it comes to finding ways to respond to all of the deceptions out into the world. And we we try to find different ways to to manage our, our affairs at home and to help our children mature in the right way. But at the very core of that is the foundation between the father and the mother. St. Pephiria says, become saints and you'll have no problem with your children. Become saints and you'll have no problem with your children. It doesn't mean your children are going to be perfect, <laughs> but it means you'll have no problem with your children. Right? And you see that John had saints raising him. He had saints that were praying. Saints that went through such a strenuous journey for years and years and years waiting for this child. Right? Remember, a couple went to an elder that were struggling with their, their children at home. They didn't know what to do. So they're asking, like, you know, we're struggling with this and this. Like, how can we really help our children? And of course, there's so many things you could do. But the very first thing on his mind in responding to them, he said, the best thing that you can do for your children is for both of you to love each other. It's the best thing you can do. The best thing that a father can do for his son or daughter is to love his wife. And the best thing that a mother can do for her son or daughter is to love her husband. Because that's the foundation. That's the foundation that we see between Zacharias and Elizabeth. They were righteous parents. You see, this, they were both righteous before God, walking in all His commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. That was the foundation for the greatest prophet, the greatest among all of the prophets, 
had this foundation at home. Imagine if every home had this foundation. If every home had righteous parents. right? If every home had a husband and a wife that love each other. If every home had parents that prayed. The parents that walk in the commandments of God. And that's precisely what made them righteous. Think about what St. Luke says here in describing them. They were both righteous before God, and then the very next line is, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord blameless. You see, that's another important lesson to learn. That what makes us righteous is not necessarily having good feelings. It's not necessarily about having wishful thinking. But it's about our obedience to the commandments. So often we belittle that. We think that that's not really what matters. So often we think that obedience is, you know, just a matter of technicalities or going through the motions, like some mechanical work. But what makes saints saints is their obedience. What made Elizabeth and Zacharias, holy, is that they obeyed God. They were faithful. They were blameless in following the ordinances of the Lord. A lot of times we look at the commandments of God as a chore. A bunch of rules to follow, like a checklist that we have to do. But whenever we reduce the commandments of God to just a list of chores to follow, or a bunch of rules to follow, we totally lose the spirit of obedience. It's because of our love for God that we obey Him. Right? And the more we love Him, the more we want to obey Him. And we see that His ordinances are guidelines for our own salvation, for our own benefit. Right? I remember, I might have shared this with you a while ago. I was sitting with one of the youth, and you know, he's confessing to me, and he's telling me, you know, he's very, very young, like, you know, nothing really serious, but... And then after, you know, but Abuna, I'm really struggling with this and this. I don't know what to do. And I feel like the more I try, like, I can't really do a good job. I can't really, you know, be like a good Christian. So I'm like, look, I want you to believe this from the bottom of your heart. That we can all be just like the saints. You see the saints and the icons right here? We can all reflect them. It's not just that the disciples were called to live a holy life, or the apostles, or St. George and the martyrs. No, all of us have that very same path of holiness accessible to us. And his eyes got really wide. Like, you mean like, I can be just like them? Yeah. How do I do that? Okay, look, I'm going to tell you the secret. You know, all you have to do is just listen to your mom and dad. Just be obedient. And he jumped out of his seat. <laughs> his jaw dropped like, what? I could be a saint? Just by listening to my mom and dad? <laughs> yeah, that's it, obedience. Why? Because Christ said, if you love me, you will what? Obey my commandments. That is our expression of our love. And a lot of times, we complicate the spiritual life. Abuna, give me a secret recipe to live a holy life. How do I achieve these virtues? How do I get here? How do I get there? And we're looking for some secret code. 
It's very simple. You have the commandments. Love your neighbor, serve, pray, turn the other cheek, forgive those who offend you, pray for those who persecute you. This is the law of the new covenant. Obedience. And if that is the foundation of every home, imagine that every church is filled with these holy families. The church will be shining with so much light that no one in the community would miss it. Right? But this is what it's all about. It's about our obedience. Now, just because they were righteous, and just because they were obedient, and they were blameless in following the ordinances of the Lord, does that mean they were exempt from adversities? Absolutely not. As a matter of fact, they probably had a bigger load to carry. Because Satan was fighting against them even harder than anyone else. Right? And so, although they were faithful, although they were obedient, they lived a poor life. Not just materialistically, but when you're in this culture and you don't have a child, it's embarrassing. And, and you might get a sense of that in some cultures until today. It's like if you don't have a child, like, oh, what's wrong with you? You're kind of like an outcast, right? And at that time, it was a big deal. It was shameful for a couple to live without a child. So she lived in this shame. And that's why at the very end of the gospel passage that we read today, she says, Thus the Lord has dealt with me in the days when He looked on me to take away my reproach among men. He finally took away my reproach among men because I have a child. So before that, what was her life like? It was rough. It was miserable. It was filled with trials and adversities. People probably mocking them. Zechariah is this old priest. Like, what does he know? He doesn't even have a child. <laughs> and so people will look at you and they will mock you. What is this guy doing? Like, he thinks he's, you know, this or that. People will mock you for fasting, for praying. People will mock you for turning the other cheek. People will mock you for running to church to find your answers. They say, well, what is this whole nonsense about faith and prayer? You need to do this. You need to do that. This is where you're going to find your answers. Don't be foolish. Don't be silly. Use your mind. Be logical. I'm sorry, faith is not about logic. Faith is about putting my trust in God, not about calculations. And so you're going to face all of that criticism. You're going to face all of those adversities. And one of the reasons I chose the name Joseph, not just because he was a handsome man, by the way, <laughs> because he went through adversities and found God through every single one of those adversities. He was betrayed by his brothers. Right? He was like the outcast in the family. They all criticized him. They wanted to kill him. And they threw him in this pit. And then finally... They had a little bit of remorse and just sold him to some men. And then and he was sold as a slave. And then when he served faithfully in his master's house, he was falsely accused of, of taking advantage of his master's wife and then tossed into prison and you name it. Stayed in prison faithful day after day after day after day. After all of that, if you're in his shoes, would you not look at God and say, what more do you want from me? Can I get a break? Can I catch a break for just one second? 
I'm going through this, I'm being faithful, I'm praying, you know, I'm trying to avoid the temptation to fall into all the lusts and the sins around me. But the harder I fight against them, the more I struggle, the more I suffer. But don't let the, the, the devil fool you to think that the spiritual path is exempt from pain and suffering. The holiest men were the ones who suffered the most. And so if anything, you might think twice if your life is void of any sort of uh, affliction. And you know, remember one saint that went through several years in the desert, you know, faithfully serving God, praying and fasting. But she had no cross in her life. She just felt like a sense of peace for several years. And she said, God, have you forgotten about me? Have you forgotten about me? I don't feel like there's the weight of this cross in my life. Right? So let's not fool ourselves. Because that's precisely what drains our hope. It drains our hope because the devil says, like it's not worth it. You're on the wrong track. You're suffering. You're doing it all wrong. If, if God was really on your side, things would be smooth. Things would, things would be just fine. Don't fall into that temptation. If God was on your side, you're going to walk through the footsteps of Elizabeth and Zacharias, of men like Joseph. And look at men like a recent saint, like St. Saint Pope Krollos. Every single one of the saints went through the fire. Right? Now, what is it that finally transformed their situation? For years waiting waiting and waiting and still nothing, living in the shame and reproach, what finally broke through? It was the moment that Zechariah went to worship. It was the moment when he went to the Lord at the altar to offer incense. That's what transformed his situation. It was prayer in the liturgy. It was that faith Right? Even though his faith was missing like a lot, right? the reason he was mute is because he lacked faith. He asked Gabriel, how is this possible? We've been waiting for so many years, it's been like decades, my wife is ancient, how is she going to give birth to a son? Okay, you're not asking just to understand, clearly you don't believe, so I have news for you, you're going to be mute until the child is born. <laughs> He didn't have perfect faith. But he believed enough. Just a mustard seed of faith is all we need. A mustard seed of faith to pray. To bring our problems to God in prayer. Run to prayer. Don't run to social media. Don't run to the internet. Don't run to a bunch of acquaintances at work about what you should do with this problem or that problem. All the resources around us are fine. God gave us those resources for a good reason. He gave us doctors and therapists and good friends and family. We should use that. But what is our first inclination? What is our only hope? It's God. That's why in the Psalms, unless the Lord builds the house, those who have labored, have labored in vain. And as the Lord guards the city, the watchmen have watched in vain. Right? Unless God is working, God advising me, unless God is the one providing the solution, all my efforts are in vain. Right? 
Now, when I have a problem, I have to ask myself, what is my natural recourse? Do I say, okay, let me try this and this and this and this, and if that doesn't work, then I'll run to prayer. As if it's like a last resort. Okay, that's typical. We have, you know, we have nothing else to do. We tried everything, so might as well just pray. <laughs> we've tried everything, so let's just give prayer a shot. You know, we've already done you know, our work, now we pray. As if that's the passive part. Right? We pray, and then we go and work. We do the passive, and then the active. That's not what prayer is about. Prayer is the most active, powerful work, the most powerful weapon that we have. When you look at the battle that Joshua fought against Amalek, what is it that gave him victory? What was his power? It was Moses on the top of the mountain praying for him. Right? And when Moses would lift up his hands in prayer, what would happen to Joshua's army? They would defeat Amalek's army. And when he would grow weary and tired, what would happen? They would start losing. It's almost like whatever Joshua was doing out in the battlefield meant nothing. Unless there was someone behind him fueling the effort. Right? And so the whole battle was dictated by what? Prayer. I'm sorry, but so often we run to prayer as a last resort. And, and, and what are we telling God when that's the case? Or we think of prayer as a passive matter. You know what? Let, let me go and do the real work out there. Then I can come to liturgy and just check that off the list. Or I can open my Bible or my Igbeya and check that off the list. And I have to remind you that prayer is only complete when, when it's comprehensive, when it's full, when it's whole. What's more important? Quality or quantity? It's a very strange question to ask. Because prayer is incomplete without either. Right? A lot of times, you know, we think that it's by the quantity of our prayers, then, you know, we have a holistic prayer life. You know, we just say a bunch of prayers and that's fine. Right? Or we think that it's just, you know, by, by the quality of our prayers, we just say like one or two words from our hearts that we're just fine. I'll just leave you with this very simple example. And I mentioned this to you, but I hope it really sinks in. Let's say that you plan a dinner for your spouse. Like a date night, very fancy dinner. Right? And you prepare for hours. You have filet mignon and lobster and you know, nice hors d'oeuvres, and you name it, right? Like a five-course meal. It is the most thoughtful dinner that you could have prepared, right? From the very bottom of your heart, right? And you sit together, and the dinner starts. You talk for a minute, you know, you really share your heart, talk about, you know, how much you love your spouse. A minute goes by, you're like, you know what? I have to run. I have another appointment you know, I have to run because I got to run some errands. I have to do some chores. <laughs> Just one minute in the dinner. And then I run away. Now, imagine on the other side of that. 
you go to dinner, you're sitting with your spouse on this date, but the whole time you're just like strolling through your phone. Someone's texting you, you respond, someone calls you, hey, I need to get this really quick, and then I grab the call and I continue with the dinner. Or, you know, I remember that I have to go do something, and then I go grab it, I come right back. And the whole time I'm sitting there, maybe like four or five hours, we're sitting together and having dinner and dessert and just chilling for most of the night. But the whole time, I'm, my mind is somewhere else. Both of those situations are immature. Right? Whenever my prayer life reflects one of those situations, it tells me that my prayer life is still immature. It tells me that I'm not walking in the footsteps of Zacharias and Elizabeth. What really makes for a mature prayer life is whenever there's quantity and quality. Right? And they both feed each other. They, they, they both support each other. Right? You can't say that one is enough. It's not. But so often we fool ourselves to think that just because we want to take some shortcuts... Right? You know, I, I, I sat in church for like five hours. Okay, but how many of those five hours did you really pray? You know, maybe you had your phone out the whole time. Maybe you're thinking about what you're going to have for dinner. Maybe you're... Okay, like I really prayed for those two minutes from the bottom of my heart last night and I opened up my... Okay, that's great. You know, and I'm not belittling any of those aspects. I'm not belittling any of those components, but... It's important to have a comprehensive prayer life. Right? That's ultimately what matters. I hope and pray that by the grace of God, we can follow in the footsteps of this family. Right? And the fruit of our faithfulness, the fruit of our obedience, the fruit of our prayers, will be that our offspring will reflect St. John. St. John, the one who paved the path for Christ. Right? This is what our church should produce. It should produce that sort of fruit. And by the grace of God, when we just trust in Him, when we put our faith in Him, we will glorify Him by all of our works. And to Him is due all glory forever. Amen.